Episode 146 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, CLB. And this week we're joined by Marcus Kowser. Marcus, what's happening, pal? How are you, lads? I'm all good. I'm all good. How are you, mate? I'm great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for coming in, bro. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Calvin, Halloween. What about Sean McDermott, Street and all, is that they get in the little yoke? Oh, you couldn't believe it. In the last few years, they've really, really upped that game. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know where they're getting the money. But they're shutting down all the roads in town and they're putting festivals and carnivals on and it's absolutely terrific. I was saying, I was in Ballymun last night, boys, and same out there. It's unbelievable. Carnivals, a big stage chair up, some board out there singing Whitney Houston, all boys, I was in my element, <laughs> sobbing, it was lashing rain, I was like, this is legit. But I was like, what's the crack there, boys? Who's the only stony bat that I get to? Yeah, now they're doing it now because you know where the trouble is coming from and how would you get rid of the trouble? Give them something else to do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even see any bonfires last night. No, I didn't was see any bonfires. Was there a bonfire Didn't see it anyways, if there was. Didn't even see any collecting this year. Mm. I've seen a couple of kids collecting and they were collecting in shorts and t-shirts and I thought that was mental. But obviously, remember we had the good weather in the middle of October. Yeah, the climate change, boys, it was bleeding. Scorching out the other week it was. Well, it's only about six years old. Do you know what I mean? Carrying those pallets is heavy work. Yeah. Sweating. It is. But, uh, Do you know what we spoke about before and I, and I need to talk about it again. I'm just going to talk about it every Halloween now, forever. Blue pallets. Yeah, how, how heavy How is a blue pallet that much heavier than a normal <laughs> Did you ever pallet? used to go collect them, Marcus? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Who'd you collect for back in the day? We used to have it up in Stormerstown Grain, up at Pappins. There used to be a bonfire there. So we used to all, we all used to meet from different areas, from Albert College and from uh, Larkin, Pappins Road, Wadley. And we'd all just amalgamate, see what we found, and then brought it to Stormerstown Grain, down at the end of Pappins Road from the Chipper. Yeah, um, would you be warm with Ballymun? No. No? No, no, no. Not even tempted to do it? No, no, Jesus, no, no. <laughs> We'd go up there the odd time. There used to be the old hill up there before the houses were built and there used to be bonfires up there. Mm. And that's as far as you'd get. You wouldn't go into the likes of Saloga. Yeah. But yeah, it's all changed now. Since it all got built up, there's nowhere. There's no, no grass. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's what I was thinking there. There wasn't uh, in at my mask last night. There was no bonfires. But then I was thinking, where would you even put one? Like anywhere there was a, a patch of bleeding wasteland, there's apartments on it now. Mm. Or student accommodation. So I don't know. But uh, the festival was unbelievable. It was class. And I mean, like proper big... Them big rides that you get strapped in and they put you up miles in the air and spin you and all. I was like, how about oh, you want... was on Shamak. Yeah, I was like, how about you want to go on that? And she was like, oh, if you want to go on it, I was like, oh, will we go down and have a look up here? <laughs> the queue was too busy. But it was lashing as well, you know what I mean? You're on that, you got off with bleeding hypothermia or something. Yeah. So, uh, no, it was unbelievable. So, big shout out. I think it was called the Big Scream. Yeah, I think NEIC ran it. So, big shout out to them. That was quality. Because uh, I put up a tweet joking. Like, I remember years ago, I was about 14, 15 being at the bonfire at Liberty House and the guard that came in the Royal Squad and like depending on where you were standing you were getting a hiding off oh, yeah. like not causing any trouble you were just standing in the wrong spot wherever way they formed and they come in and they cleared everybody out and they were hitting you didn't care what size you are what age you are you were getting a smack of a bleeding a shield off on them coppers or a baton and I remember like Jesus Christ like there's my young one there playing carnival games, you know, trying to throw the hoop on top of stuff and queuing up the ground this stuff and it was deadly. And then 
I was like, yeah, when a few years ago, I was getting fucking hiding over here, you know what I mean? We're but, all up. Yeah. Minds have changed. Yeah, but it thought it better as well because it was always very dangerous. And I remember, like, my man and I used to say, like, look after yourself and this, that, and the other. I'm like, it's grand, it's grand. But, like, you don't realise. You don't realise until you look back, like, geez, you're very close to, like, causing serious harm. Like, yeah. or getting into serious trouble. Yeah. Like, split seconds, you know what I mean? I remember bleeding a firework blew up my mate's face as well, wasn't there? Mm. Do you know what I mean? He was very close to not losing an eye. Yeah, not getting a skin graft like you want to see like he was left in an awful state but it's the busiest noise of the air for the fire brigade yeah and the guard as well you know what I mean so like yeah it's great to see that we've came like have came so far since then and the great for the communities like I said we went out to Ballymun last night just floating around having a look in different areas and they had that whole little carnival thing set up and all and the energy and all was unbelievable like there was a few people drinking and all but everybody was just buzzing and mm. laughing and joking and having a like where like having a scene like back in the day like it was rough like even Halloween night like mm. Halloween night at the fire and all all is well and good for a few, a few hours and then people start dropping yokes and doing sniffs. And, and there's a rope car. And then before you know it, there's more and there's Royal Squad everywhere and there's people getting along. And it's just like, what the fuck is that happening here? Yeah. Maybe they're doing a bit of a risk assessment and saying, okay, let's let's put something on, as, as Calvin said, you know, because if you don't, mm. there's going to be hell break loose, you know? Mm. Not only that, there was a couple of Halloweens where a couple of people got stabbed and yeah. people lost their life and things like that mm. as well. Mm. So, like, having these measurements in place, I think, is only for the better. Yeah, yeah. but, like, the whole bleeding road was shut down and I was like, this is deadly, right. you know what I mean? So, you don't need to worry, like, you can let the kids out because mm. you know there's no cars. Mm. So, like, the kids can go out and trick or treat, you don't need to worry about that. Mm. And, like, the whole community is there as well, so, now it was a good touch, a big shout out to them and the big screen. Have you had any zingers? Did we use the one that I keep threatening to use with a guest about the would you rather have a personal cleaner or a personal chef? No, we haven't used it yet. We said that in the bonus episode. Marcus, what would you rather do? Marcus, you strike me as a good cook. I know, Dab Hand is putting stuff together, yeah, but I, I eat my own food if you get me. I don't know what other people might think of a taste. But what do you mean? Would you cook for someone? I, I think my own food is lovely. Oh, right, right. You know what I mean? If I cook it for someone else, it might be a bit suspect, you know? Yeah. Mm. Would you put yourself out there and say, oh, I'll cook dinner for someone? So it wouldn't be that stupid to do that, you no, know what I mean? No, I do a chili or I do a nice uh, nachos mm. or chili lasagna. But anyone can do nachos. You got a bag of Doritos, a bit of cheese thrown in the microwave. There's your nachos. <laughs> you know or I mean? spaghetti bolognese. You play it safe, you know. But yeah. no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't volunteer. So you'd be picking the chef then as well. I'd be picking the chef. I think the chef is the go-to. No, the cleaner boys. I'm only at the being telling you on the balcony boys where I'm at the deal. I'm at the open and the gaff. The gaff is inside out down there. And then I was like, fuck! I have to do a podcast and I'm at the leaving. There's wardrobes in the blade toilet. My sofa is upside down in the sitting room, boys. The gaff is up there. I think you should leave the sitting room. Like a nice little rearrangement, you know what I mean? You're facing the other way now. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but genuinely, I'm actually not being smart by that, but... Do I swap it around, like? Yeah, so now your sofa's facing the other way. No, bro. No, because no, that's a flat wall there. See, my telly is in at the gap where the wall goes in, mm. do you get me? Mm. So it fits there, perfect. So I was to swap it all around and all now, no, boys. No, not into it. But long the gap, long ahead of you oh, boys, you have a long... Boys having a cup of coffee now, it's about bleeding seven o'clock. It is, boys. I swear to God, I was down there, I turned the gaff inside out. I went down... Had a smoke, come back up, and I was like, fuck, I have to have a shower, I have a podcast to go to. And here I am, boys, the gaff is upside down. But, uh, Marcus, right, so I'm taking the personal cleaner anyways. Marcus, <laughs> before we get into your story, tell us what you're actually doing now in short form, and then take us back to the start. So, look, what is it that you do? I'm now a psychotherapist and a counsellor. 
Right. So, in a nutshell. Right, well, that's it. Short and sweet. That's all we need to know, yeah? yeah. That's what you want people to stick around for. Stick around, because this yeah, is the yeah, big yeah. reveal. And an author, yeah. I suppose, as well, as I put oh, a self-help journal. Yeah, you know. Worth yeah. a few quid now, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, if you want to take us back to the start, where you're from, what was life like growing up? So, uh, I'm from uh, Ballymun Road. So, Ballymun, but it's Glasnevin. And I've been living there. My mum is from Germany. So, she moved over here. When she was younger, her dad got a job as a school teacher over in, over in the south side. And then my dad is from Peerstree, from Hogan Place. And his mom was from Italy. So they came over. So you're a mix of everything. I'm a mongrel, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah a mix yeah. of everything in me. Yeah. But they had a chipper over in Hogan Place in Peerstree for years. And then they moved to Drimna. And then they bought one in, uh, on Patman's Road there. And they were there for years. So it's only up the road from the Ballymun Road. So I was talking to Calvin about it. He, he's Macari's on it now. Spell that. Macari's? Yeah. M-A-C-A-R-I-S. So all these years you're calling that Macari's? <laughs> <laughs> so that's not Macari's, no? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but... No, yeah. no, no. Macari's. That's, 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 that's as bad as the... That's as bad as the Esquires. Esquires. It's Esquires. Esquires. Oh, what's that, that Queen wa? I used to call it Queen away. I was the doppelgangers one. Doppelgangers? Doppelgangers. Holy, there's a few bad ones. Sorry, few bad ones out there, but yeah, McCarty's ship on the Ballymun Road. Yeah, yeah, so uh, lived there. It was on the main road, so across the road is Albert College. So I had a lot of mates over in Albert College. And when you hopped over my back wall, you're into Wadley. So I had a lot of mates there. We all palled around. So uh, yeah, life was good. And when I was born, (laughs) I was born with scoliosis. So it's a curve of the spine. And uh, I would have had to go to Crumlin every six to 12 months for checkups just to, just to see the growth as it was growing, you know. So when I got to about seven or eight, they were saying, if, you know, the more active I am, the better. So I obviously love football. Football was my life. So I joined Home Farm under nine. When I was nine, I joined the under 10s. I couldn't make the under nines halfway through the season. So I played out of, me, out of a year. And then I joined the under 10s then. And it was just football, football, football. Just loved it. And then... Uh, my mum and dad separated. So I suppose I was 12, but I didn't really, I didn't really understand it. The first thing I think I said was, what about my football? Mm. So we had to move. So we moved out to a place called Newcastle out in County Wicklow, right beside Kilkill. So uh, middle of nowhere. Like it was the last bus stop, CAE done. It was a two and a half hour trek. It was, it was a bus every four hours. So from going from Dublin to that, I was like, what the fuck is going on? That's some change. Yeah, yeah. I was, it was difficult, you know, but again, I, I didn't really care once I had the football. So my dad worked in the boat, so he was two weeks on, two weeks off. So uh, for the two weeks that he wasn't around, my mum would have to bring me. So my mum brought me every Tuesday in Torsey up to Whitehall to home for him to train. So we'd get the bus from school all the way in and then we'd get the last bus home, which would be about 10 o'clock. And if we missed that, there was another bus at 10 past 10. It was the last, last bus. And that only went as far as Kilkill. And many a time I'd be, I'd be just messing, you know, taking shots and doing something. My mum was like, oh, we have to go into town, we have to get the bus and we'd miss it. We'd get as far as Kilkill and it was a two and a half kilometre walk down a dodgy road, country road. And, and, and she'd done that for me. And it was just, mm. I suppose I took it for granted, but it's what I wanted to do. It's football was my life, you know. So um, I kept going up when my dad was away. I'd stay up on a Saturday night and I'd stay with one of the lads off the team. And one of my friends, Alan, lived in Rings End. So we'd go there and on a Saturday we'd play a football match and then... We'd go down to Classic Barbers, and Classic Barbers at the end of Mary Street, get our haircuts, hairy legs, get our clothes, and then go to the apartments or the Olympic. And then uh, we went to tournaments, the Milk Cup and Belgium, and we met a team called Norwich. Norwich came and played at Friendly with us. 
and took four of us on trial. So I was 14. And uh, yeah, that was brilliant. Went over every school holiday. Every chance we got, we were going over to Norwich and training with the, with the youth team. And then we went over for the summer, for the full summer, to train with the pros. And it was just, it was just brilliant. Are you still in school at this stage? Still in school, yeah. Yeah, so any school holiday, any midterm or any Halloween or Christmas, we would just literally fly over there, stay for the week, train and then come back. And it was the whole school year. And then uh, we went over, as I said, for the pre-season and training with the, you know, Chris Sutton was one of the pros and Real Fox and Brian Gorn. It was, it was, it was great to be a part of. And they, they, they said they wanted to sign us. So basically said, you know, they wanted to hold on to us. There was other clubs involved asking us to play and asked us to go on trial. But Norwich were kind of saying, no, listen, we want the four lads. You know, Keith O'Neill, you know, Keith, Keith O'Neill played for Ireland and Middlesbrough. He was with us and Keith, Trevor and Paul. And that was my life. What's that feeling like? Going over to Norwich and then finally getting that where they want to keep you. Well, it was a great feeling. It was just, you know yourself, we were 14, 15. So even now, I think... Did you understand the magnitude of it? Like? We just, that was my life and that's what I wanted to do. I didn't think of anything else. And we went to a tournament. We were playing a tournament in Aston Villa. And uh, my back was hurting me during the pre-season because we were training with men. We're carrying them on our back. We're doing running. So my back was hurting me. But I just said, I'm having a bit of trouble with my back. So they said, I oh, will get someone to have a look at you. But we went down to Birmingham to the tournament. And I was always high energy. I played up front and I was always high energy and closing down and parrying. And so halfway through the tournament, we were winning and the, there was a seven-a-side tournament and the, the manager said, look, we're going to give you a break. It's a seven-a-side. You'll be number 15. You know, you don't even need to tag out. And they played, but they got you to the final. And they got to the final against Rangers. And it went to penos. And the penos went seven all, eight, seven, you know, all the way. And it was coming up to me, number 13, went to sudden death. And then the 14, our keeper saved it. And I was the 15 to take the penalty against Rangers. And, and I scored and I won. And as an Irish fella, it was just a mad feeling. So the next day then in the tournament, we played a match and they were giving out the trophies. And I won player of the tournament or set the forward of the tournament. And I had to leave then to go down to Hardy Street in London. So I was on the train going down to London on my own. And I had the boots and I had a tracksuit and, you know, a certificate. And I was going, this is my life. Even at 15, I think it was, I was like, this is, this is the way life is, you know? And I went into Hardy Street then, all on my own. You know, there was a taxi to pick me up and drop me in. And the guy checked me over and sat me down and just said, look, he said, if you keep playing at this level, you'll end up in a wheelchair by the time you're 18. I was like, right, okay. Um, so the train journey from London up to Norwich was a completely different feeling. I just got home, got back into my digs, locked my room. And then the youth development officer, came back and knocked on the door and he was like, he said, he's no right telling you this. He said, fuck him. He knows about medicine. We know about football. And if you take a chance on us, we'll take a chance on you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, devil, devil. So then they offered us a contract to fly over on a Friday night, play a match on a Saturday and fly home on the Saturday night, under 16, under 17. But I suppose living out in Newcastle, I was like, how am I going to get to Dublin airport for a four o'clock flight, you know, when I finished school? And it was just... They told us that one, two and three priorities in our life has to be education. So, of course, I'm listening to this and I said, I better tell them I'm going to stay on in school. But they said, no problem. We'll see you. You know, we'll see you after your schooling. I mean, I never heard from them. So I suppose that would have been the start of me thinking I wasn't good enough. That was the start of me feeling inadequate. I'd let people down. As I said, my dad worked in the boat, so he was quite a hard man. Not very good with his emotions. Um, but his way of teaching was or parenting was just given a different way, you know, and, and, and I always felt I had to live up to him. And it was my fault and I never did good enough for him. So obviously that was a failure for me, not making it to England. So I played, it was 18th and I just said, right, I'm giving up. 
So when you say he didn't hear it back, what do you mean by that? So they just never got in touch. So the two lads that signed that contract, Keith and Paul, they flew over on a Friday night, played on a Saturday, and they flew home Saturday night. So they were out watching us play and for home farm under 17s and under 18s. They were there watching us play on the Sunday, and I'd say, how did you get on? They said, oh, they didn't need us this weekend. We didn't, you know. So I was like, they're not playing. At least mm. when playing week in, week out. But I don't know whether it was the commitment that they shown the fact that they said, look, we have it, or whether they looked at the doctors and said, if anything happens to this fella and something goes wrong, the fact that it was flagged, yeah, you know, the insurance won't pay out. I don't know. I was so young. But all I, all I, all I thought was I was a failure. I wasn't good enough. So I suppose well, I forgot my mum moved back over to Germany when I was 15. She brought me two brothers. She just, there wasn't much here. There wasn't much in Newcastle. You know, health, education, there wasn't much to good. So she moved back to Germany and she asked if I want to go. And I said, no, I'm going to England. Mm. You know, it didn't even sink in who were going because I just said I'm going to England. So even at that, that was stored somewhere. So when, when it didn't happen, it was there, it was anger, it was, it was resentment, it was... So what do you mean you were going to England? So I, I planned, I was, my mum left at 15 when I, was going to, when I was going to Norwich for the pre-season, the summer that I found out yeah. that I'd end up in a wheelchair, she decided to move. She was planning to move to Germany. Mm. So I, was, I didn't mind. I, I said, I can't go to Germany. I'm going to England. I'm going to, I'm going to be a professional footballer mm. in my head. So when she went with me two brothers, I lived with my nanny down for two years because my dad still worked on the boats two weeks on, two weeks off. So it didn't even register because football. So even when my mum and dad separated, all I cared about was how am I going to play football? Mm. Not that sorted. Ah, that's grand. So, but I was just storing it away, just storing it away. And then when my mum going to Germany, same thing. Oh, great grand! I'm going to England. Yeah. And how old were your brothers? My brother was uh, Jason was. I was fifteen, so he would have been about twelve, and Daniel was nine, so he was going into secondary school, and Daniel would have been, you know, it would have been okay to live at that age. So my mum brought them over, and they're still over there. They're still there. Still there. Yeah. My mum moved back. To Ireland, as soon as they got their, I suppose, their apprenticeships and got a job, Daniel's in shipping, he's a manager of a shipping company and Jason's was working for Mercedes and now he's working for Porsche as a mechanic. So they love it, they love life over there. But again, the, this is when your dad isn't very emotional mm. and, and, and my mum was and then she wasn't around. So there was a lot of conflicting feelings for me. You know, I didn't understand, I was just angry. But that didn't stop you playing football though? No, well I gave up for a few years. I just went on the rip then because I had been so dedicated and, and driven for so long and, and gave up an awful lot. All my mates were out, I suppose, and I was like, nah, I've a match in the morning. I was so focused that I just said to myself, yeah, nah, I'm done. Gave up for three or four years. And uh, I suppose that the 90s dancing was... Kicking off. Yeah, and that was my community. That was my saviour, you know. And pressures from my dad, I suppose, as well. And, you know, it, it continued when it came to job, job choice and stuff like that. It was, it was, never, it was never the right one. I always felt as I was competing to get his approval, you know, get a pensionable job, get this, get that. So uh, I found myself going back to home for Amelenza Senior then, and I was playing with them and some great lads, ex-League of Ireland players that sort of stepped down and they were playing in that league. And I met a lad, David Campbell, who, who was playing with them and he was a manager of a hairdresser's. He said, do you ever think about being a hairdresser? I was like, no. He said, you've got gifted a gab. And I was like, no. So... We became good mates, and that was at, it was about 22, 23. Left home farm mid-season, had a barney with the manager, ended up going to Walkinstown, playing for Walkinstown. Won the league with Walkinstown. Played against Pats and Francis and Rovers in, in, in pre-season. And Pat Dolan asked me to go down and train with Pats. And again, I was working at the time, I was a merchandiser. And, uh, you know, at this stage, I was earning a few quid. 
working, working until eight, nine o'clock at night doing merchandising. And he said to me, look, can you, will you give us two weeks and train? I says, no, Pat, I can't, you know, I can't dedicate that. You know what I mean? Training up in Parmester, I can't. So I knocked that on the head. But every time I seen him after that, he goes, Kells, I could have made you a player. I could have made you a player. But again, it was one of those, I just made a choice when it came to money. But I didn't, I didn't go to Pat's. So I just continued working and playing for Walkinstown. We won the league and then I met a fella over in Cyprus, <laughs> Kenny two times, we called him because he said everything two times. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I went to get the award for walking and winning the league, Bally Mum were there and they'd won everything. They won the four trophies, you know, and they're all sitting there and Kenny two times goes, what's the story? What's the story? <laughs> I was like, what's the story? He said, you fancy coming down? And I was like, yeah, of course, yeah. So obviously it's my hometown club, you know, it's only up the road. So I said, yeah. So I went to join Bally Mum for two or three years and I loved it that was great mm. you know real real community it was just a real family club the lads were great it was just a great time the football was brilliant the manager was great the old sinner really enjoyed myself there you know but I was a sales rep and I you know I was earning a few quid finishing work half three four o'clock every day company car and uh, I got to about 28 then and I was away with them and all the lads that were walking with me were moaning, saying, I can't wait for apprentice. I can't wait for redundancy and I can't wait for retirement. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus, you was there in your 60s and you're thinking that. I'm thinking that at 28. Mm. I have to get out. I have to get out. So I was still mates, obviously, with me mate, who, who was a hairdresser, who owned House of Colour, and he, I just said, listen, I think I'm going to give it a go. Did that go down well with Jada? No. Considering you're saying he was a hard man. Yeah. And Here's a son who was going to be a pro footballer, now becoming a hairdresser. Yeah, yeah. Considering the stigma that they associated with that, like... A million percent. And, you know, he said to me, do you have anything to tell me, son? You know, it's a story, actually. Back in... I was working in the short shop in Stevens Green. I was, I was about 19 at the time. There was a fella that worked there before me, Paul Cleary. And Paul used to be always wearing kilts and, you know, flowy stuff going out to the nightclubs in town, the pod and the, and the shaft nightclub. But he left and... Someone rang the phone one day. It was a woman from the Evening Herald, and she says to me, um, "Are you the guy that wears the skirts?" You know, and it just go happened on on Halloween. I dressed up as a an Indian, so I had a sarong and a long short to shave my head, and I was going, "Jesus, news travels fast." You know, I said, yeah, that's, I said, "Yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah." I hadn't got a clue what she was talking about. She said, "Donna Karen's bringing out a new range of sarongs. Would you be interested in modelling them?" I said, "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> so I went down with the girl I was going out at the time and, and I didn't even have a sarong I said where am I going to get a sarong you know but I'd done it anyway and it was out in the evening Herald yeah on the Tuesday and uh, I remember walking into the news agents and two of my neighbours were looking at the paper and just laughing and they looked to see me walking in just start laughing but the Tuesday I got away with it nothing was said at home Wednesday nothing Thursday nothing I was like I'm after getting away with this lads and I walked in on the Friday and obviously because my dad worked for the boat someone photocopied, there must have been about 100 photocopies all over the front room of the house, on, his te on the telly, on the floor of the, of the picture. I said, he knows now. He didn't speak to me for three months. What? Just, I suppose, the slagging that he would have got. You know, the, the lads, and I, and I wouldn't have seen, I felt a disappointment, but then I was a bit of a rebel because Jerry Ryan, uh, radio show, rang me, God rest Jerry, and, and said, will you go on the show? And they'd done a big segment, would you walk down Grattan Street with it on? And I said, yeah, well, yeah. So I'd done that and it made matters worse, you know, because it was in the Daily Star then. But the, the hairdressing, yeah, he did. He just sort of said, I don't get it. And I was going out with Dave at the time. You bet your best mate owns a hairdresser. He's asking, do you want to go out? Me, him and 40 girls. Of course I'm going to go out. <laughs> so I went and I trained and I'd done the course and I, and I fast-tracked it. And I qualified after about 15 months. 
and then I was working on a, a salon floor and then there was an opportunity to become a manager. So I just went, fell into that after about two years and managed them for 15 years. Got into the education side of things, the social media side of things and, and managed different salons, various salons, you know. So that's how you know a lot of people. That's how I know a lot of people, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, you build yeah. a big network doing hairdressing. And I suppose, again, you know, he didn't see that. My dad wouldn't have seen that. He would have made a comment saying, you're because, you're, you know, you're a shy or you weren't good enough. You're managing now. Like, what are you going to do when you're... Yeah, well, that's what they're saying, that those that can't do teach, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He kept going on about a pensionable job, you know, and safety. He just wanted me to be safe and he just wanted me, but he just the way he delivered it wasn't great. But I always had this, you know, I'm not good enough. And then, of course, I'm out and I suppose missing me mom, my mom not being around and the resentment. But I never dealt with it. You know, I started getting into relationships and then leaving them early before they got a chance to leave me. Because in my head, I was like, everyone leaves me. Mm. I ain't that victim. And, you know, I I put on this persona that it was like, it is what it is. Just, I mean, man, that broke up, so what? But there was so much stuff that wasn't touched. There's so much stuff that wasn't looked into that I just carried on. Self-destruct buttons. And where we at mentally then were all that with your dad and stuff like that? Like, where were you at? Yeah, it was tough because he was still my hero, you know? We were still looking at him and I understood his ways, but I knew he meant well. I knew, you know, I had empathy. I knew I didn't know what empathy was until I went to college. I didn't understand what empathy was, but I actually was showing it then. It's all he knew, you know? And, and I saw a saying there last week, that the important thing about a conversation is, is what's not being said. And I always knew he wasn't saying what he really wanted to. Yeah. And it was hard because my mum was away during those years, so I didn't have that person. My mum gave me a lot of beliefs and values growing up that stuck with me and may have got different ones from my dad. So there's conflicting beliefs and values and you're, you're arguing against them, but this is the way and you end up putting on these masks and personas and you think this is the way it should be because it makes me dad happy. Little things like I got a tattoo, a little Chinese writing on my arm, my dad flipped, absolutely flipped. It's tiny. Then I came and he, and he saw a United tattoo on me, on me calf and he was like, what the hell is that? I said, he says, you're not bad. Big Man United fan. Mm-hmm. So things like that was a bit, you know, both, I got them both covered up now, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was difficult, you know, because you, you just wanted him to understand where I was coming from. I suppose I became a bit of a people pleaser because I didn't have that much self-worth and I'd be trying to be everyone's friend and trying to be nice to everybody. And he saw that, I suppose, but his way of explaining it to me was, you're a gilly and what are you being a doe for, you know? So it was, it, it was tough, but I still saw little glimpses of his love and his affection towards me. And it was, it was just at the launch of the, of the journal. One of his ex-workmates who's in recovery, Sean Dutton, he writes poems every day, but he asked could he write a poem and basically was saying how he, he heard so much about me on the ship, but never got to meet me. That he walked in, he saw me dad, my dad's grin and then he met me at the beach and he looked up and he said, I'm after seeing Anto's grin again at the same sort of grin, you know, that. but he said, I was so excited to meet this boy who played for Man United because my dad would make out that I was, oh, he came and he was this and he was that, whereas I'd score a hat-trick and I'd get into the car and my dad go, yeah, you just need to improve on your tackling. Okay. Hmm. So it was a constant battle and not having someone there to, I suppose, to vent. My auntie was great, but, you know, that was her, that was her brother. She would have, understood where he was coming from but yeah it was it was it taught me a lot you know a lot of decisions that we made i'd say to him i moved out a few times and i'd move back and then i'd say to him look why don't you get this done to the house why don't you get this and he said well i'm gone you can do what you want when i'm gone that was always i said but we should do with this when i'm gone you do what you want and it was the that was the uh 
his attitude, you know. You said you were hairdressing for 15 years, yeah? Yeah. What brings that to an end? Well, my dad got diagnosed with cancer in 2016. Um, we went into the we went into the matter, and he didn't he didn't even want he was a big strong man, you know he had a heart attack and he drove himself down to the to the matter, with a heart attack in '99. That was the second time he had a heart attack because he had one three weeks previous. And your mom was like, "Where are you going? You can't park your car there. You parked it in the yellow boxes where the ambulance is." He said, "I'm having a heart attack," and he was like, "And how do you know that story?" He says, "Because I had one three weeks." <laughs> <laughs> big strong, hardy man. Do you know what I mean? He would never ask for help and. He got diagnosed and uh, by that stage we'd repaired a lot. We'd done a lot of work together and we, you know, he accepted me and we became mates as opposed to enemies and, you know, battling with each other. And then uh, that was the November and then the June, he went into, uh, he had an infection and he wouldn't go to hospital. He was in bed for the Friday, Saturday and I was going, come on you, I said, we're going to hospital. And he said, it's a bank holiday weekend. That place is going to be chocker. He said, I'm not going up there. I said, yeah, stage four cancer that. I think they'll see you up the top of the list. Like, he's like, no, no, no. So anyway, on the Tuesday, we ended up going in. And they said to me, have you got people to call? There's 48 hours max. It's everywhere. Um, so my auntie was in Italy at the time. Obviously, I had to bring my brothers who hadn't spoken to him, the relationship wasn't great with them for years. They just, between my dad's pride, the lad's not, you know. So, my brother came back and my auntie came back and we ended up getting three weeks out of him. <laughs> three weeks. Like, the consultant would walk in every morning with a team of student doctors and they'd be looking at the file and then looking at him and going, what the hell is, like, how is this man, you know? And he said, can we do anything for you? He goes, you can actually, you can get me a bigger telly. He says, I can't watch Coronation Street and Emmerdale and that. <laughs> And he was just joking all the time. He was always just putting on a front, but he was, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, he'd wake up because I slept in the room and he'd say, come on, we watch a movie and we watch The Commitments or something, you know, and then he'd fall asleep and the nurse would come in. He'd go, we're putting the band back together. He'd start talking about Jimmy Rabbit and all. He was like, the drugs and hallucinating. But every time I left to go and have a shower, he'd say, where are you going? Don't go, don't go, I miss you. He said, there's loads of people here. He goes, no, well, I, I miss you. And that killed me, but it, it was a lot of it was it was a lot of peace as well at the same time because he was finally he was scared, and he needed me there. And we became best mates for the last three weeks, and we got everything out, you know. So it was me f best three weeks with him. We were just best mates. So um, he passed away in the in the in the. Um, the June, and then I just carried on, plod along, and then I think a year, about year, 14 months later, I got the house done up. I wanted to do something with the house, you know? And um, I remember sitting there in a panic, froze, thinking, would you like the paints game? Would you like, would you like the way the telly is? Would you like this couch? It just hit me that I was dealing with everything, and he wasn't there. And again, I felt, am I letting him down? And the people that were around me were great people, but I couldn't talk to them. I just felt it was just fog in front of me. I said, I need to go and speak to someone. And, and I went to therapy. There was still a stigma around it. There was still, are you okay? People ringing me every day. Are you okay, you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? And I said, no, I'm just going to talk to someone. I want to be a better person for all years. I think it was two sessions and I went, it's not about them.
It's about me. And as I went into therapy, I, I was just, I said to me, therapists at the time, you know, the phrase, go hard to go home in the gym. You know, you get in, do your thing, get out. And I said to me, therapist, that's what I'm here for. So you tell me what I need, to, you know, and I was engrossing, I was going home, I was doing research. I wanted to know why I was acting the way I was, why I constantly kept pressing that self-destruct button, why I kept making the same mistakes and, and blaming others. I wanted to know the reckoning, the reasoning behind it all, you know. And so I really went full pelt into the, into the therapy and uh, I started getting great results, you know. I remember walking out and I sat in the car and for the first time I could see in front of me. I could hear what was on the radio. It was like that fog had been lifted. And I was like, she's a genius. She is an absolute hero, that one. Not knowing that I was doing the work, not knowing that I was making the change, but because I started putting the pieces together and started making small changes, I said, if I could have the power to do something like that, that's a great job. But she'd said to me, did you ever think about being a therapist? And I said, no. And I was listening about synchronicities and stuff that happens. I turned on the radio and there was an ad for, you know, a college. And I said, oh, I'll go for that. It's like, that's the wrong story. I'll just go for it. You know what I mean? Why not? Go for the interview. And I got in and I started my journey then in, in college at 43. And after about two years, lockdown happened. So I loved lockdown because I could get really into me studying. I could learn about me. And then the third year, it was college, work, life and I felt that was a bit pressured so I just made the decision to concentrate on my studies left the hairdressing it wasn't easy yeah was that scary change like yeah at that stage of your life I was massive for like to even to leave as a sales rep to go into to be a hairdresser at 30 was scary but I just I just said to myself if I get an opportunity I'm just going to take it yeah why not you well know? we got the levels like that's yeah what, that's what we always keep pushing on this as well like like see because you even your dad's mentality of like get a job and make sure it's a pension and all this kind of thing, just stability and just something safe and secure. We're trying to actually push like, no, take the fucking gamble. Doesn't matter, like you're going there and studying to become a therapist at 43 and going from a sales rep to a hairdresser at 30 and stuff like that. And we're trying to tell people as well, like go for it. There's always going to be jobs out there. There's always going to be something out there for you. Not the end of the world if you go mm. try your hand at something and it doesn't work. So be it. You go back to the drawing board and you find something else. But I keep going and keep going. I think there's too many people out there working shit jobs that they don't like for shit money just because they think that's all they have for them. Like, oh, in my old job when I used to work, like there'd be people in the job 18 years and over 20 years and they're fucking miserable. They're miserable and all they do is complain. They come into work and fucking this and that and they're just never happy and I just, I never seen the point in that. That was never ever going to be me. Like, I just rather a bit of peace of mind and a bit of happiness over, over that any day. Of course, all jobs are going to get stressful at times. Mm -hmm. But like, take the fucking gamble. I think people feel, I think people have grown up with a lot of people that kind of would have had your dad's mentality and our parents' mentalities and stuff like that. Because they were all brought up similar. Just get a fucking job. Get a job. Make yeah. sure you have a wage coming in and hopefully it has a pension at the end. Man. Get a job with a pension at the end, you better not fucking fuck that up, you know? I just think nobody is willing to take a risk. No. My dad used to walk, he used to drive 44. I remember he used to park across the road, the Yorkie, a Yorkie trailer on it. I was calling my dad drives Yorkie trucks, you know? <laughs> when he's mad. Then he got into the, he was working on the boat. So he was two weeks on, two weeks <laughs> off. I suppose my mum going to Germany, 
she went back to college at 40 to do hotel management. She was working two jobs at the time. She had two kids, you know, and, and, and going back to study that, I was like, Jesus. But even when she was 40, I was going, Jesus, my ma's ancient. Mm. Mm. My ma's ancient and she's going back to college, you know, because my head was like, I'll never get to that age. So she was a huge inspiration, still is. Yeah for taking that risk and, and it was just lovely to, to witness and I suppose she made it for sacrifices for her kids. Yeah. I just had made, you know, there's people that go into medicine or they go into accountancy or they go because their dad or their mom are doctors and accountants and they just feel it's the right thing to do or, you know, but exactly what you said, miserable. Mm. And, and who's to say you're not going to find your purpose or you're going to find your, the job of your life straight away. It's hard. You change. I've changed so many times, you know. But I love how when I do find something, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. Change, just go for it. Yeah, but no risk, no reward. You know what I mean? And too many people just want to stay in that shit job. Like, take a fucking gamble on yourself. Yeah. Take a gamble. What have you got? Like, say you go for something. Say you want to go to college and study and you feel like you can't balance them. But you're enjoying studying. Just take the time out and study or move to a part-time job or get part-time work. Too many people are like, no, this is my job and I'm setting my mm -hmm. ways and I can't leave this. You can always go back to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can always just go and get another job. Well, I think it depends sometimes. It depends on your environment. It depends on the, maybe the people in your life. You know, if you're looking after a family or if you've got a partner, you've got kids and the pressures of maybe taking that gamble when you've got bills to pay. You know, I was in a situation where I didn't, I had to look after myself. So I went on social welfare and I just said to myself, do you know what, I'm just gonna really dive into my college and take the stresses away from it because pressure started. I was going into tour year, I was a thesis to plan and everything. So I could still fail it. Mm. And after going this far, I was like, if I fail it now, you know, who am I letting down and what will I do then? And so I did just say, right, I'm just gonna concentrate on me and not in a selfish way, but if there was food in the fridge, the bills were paid for, I didn't care for anything else. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wasn't bothered about nights out or new trainers and, you know, if I wanted something, I saved for it and I, and I was perfectly happy doing that. So what would you say to people that have got families and stuff like that? What would your advice be to them? Well, one thing I've learned in, 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 in all of this is communication is key. Like, I didn't have open line of communication with my dad. I felt as if, you know, and I spoke on my, my own podcast, I didn't want to do a podcast because I don't like my voice. Well, I didn't like my voice because I felt as if my voice was never heard in areas that I felt passionately about or me trying to get my point across. So I ended up thinking my voice was not good. And in my head, I was just pushing it down to, no, 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 nobody wants to hear me. But communication, when you communicate to anyone, there's ways around everything. You can break things down. Realistically, if you have a huge mortgage, is there ways that you can maybe lessen the load and bring in money somewhere else? Or if you can rent a room out, if it meant you're happy. It reminds me of the, the Mexican fisher story. Did you ever the mes no. Mexican fisherman? The Mexican fisherman, he's out on his trawler and he's looking for shrimp and prawn and he, he comes back and there's a businessman there, an American businessman, and he goes, you know, and he, he sells his prawns and things at the, at the market. And he says, I'm just watching you there. He said, uh, what are you doing? He goes, well, I go out and do a bit of fishing. He said, tell me what your day is like, you know. He said, well, I do a bit of fishing. I come home, sell it at the market, go home, have a little siesta and spend some time with my kids have a bite to eat and then maybe go down to town and listen to some music and chill out with me neighbours and then go home. And your mum was like, yeah, I know, but like your trawler, he said, it's so small. He said, what you should do is you should invest in getting another trawler and a bigger one. 
And then what you do is you get a bank loan and you can pay it off that. And he said, and then when you get a bigger trolley, you, you can cut the middleman and you can buy a market and you can do all of this. And he says, in 10 years time, 15 years time, you can sell up. And he said, all right, okay, 15 years. He said, 15 years. He said, yeah, babe, 15 to 20 years. If you do it right and you invest this and you invest that, then you'll be able to retire. And he said, how does retirement sound to you? And he went, yeah, I'd get to go out with me fishing boat and fish a little bit and then come home, have a little nap, spend some time with my family. Do you know what I mean? So some people look at, you have to go big and you have to have this when it's the little things sometimes, the simple things that are right in front of you that you can do. So it's just, again, it's a different mindset. And, and if you have the right people with the right beliefs and values around you, anything is possible. Yeah, I hear you on that. I just think regardless, there's ways and means to do everything. And even if you had a family and you were working a job, if you, if you really want to take the gamble, take the risk on yourself, you'll find extra hours in the day. What, you're working eight hours a day, max, let's say eight to ten hours a day. If you really want to go for something, I know you have a family and kids, you, like you said, communication, communicate with the missus. Yeah. If you have one at home, say, listen, I'm going to be working an extra couple of hours. When I'm home, I'm going to be studying them extra. If you wanted to, you'd, you'd make it happen. Of course, but your happiness, it's boils down to your happiness. Well, your happiness will come from if yeah. you do want to do something and you're studying and you come home from work after a long shift and you're studying this. At the end of the day, if you study well enough and you pass and you got a job and that, you can take out this one. And now you're doing mm. something that you actually like and this was just paying the bills mm -hmm. yeah. the whole time. It's the fulfilment, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And you get to do things, that, you know, I'm sure obviously with you working as well, you have to do this on the side, but you love doing it. Mm. You make time for it and anything that needs to be done. It's it's a passion of yours. And some of the guests you've had on, you know what I mean? They've all said the same thing. They, they enjoy working so much. What they do, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. But That's this was never for financial gain either. No. I don't think we thought this would be a job. I still don't call it a job. No. Yeah. Well, there is my full-time job now because... You've never, But you've never once said, like, if someone says, what do you do? You've never once said you were a podcast. No, but do you know what I mean? So, well, it's, it's so much, I'm like, oh, I do a podcast. Like, I don't know what to say, like, you know what I mean? But this is my full-time job. But it's more passion. And I think it is because of that, because it wasn't for financial gain. So when, you don't, when you're not going out looking to for fame and money and this and that, you're actually just doing something because you love it and enjoy it and you're showing up and you yeah. get to have a buzz with your mate and talk to people and have a buzz with them and have a chat and pour it out. You don't even realise that there's a market there for that for that to become a job. It's massive. I think, you know, what I was saying to Calvin, I think people listen to podcasts and, you know, for me, it's the knock-on effect. You just want one person to hear one thing. And I remember going on, when we were training to be... Uh, stylists we were sent out on courses all the time and I remember we'd have to go back and report and say what did you learn today you know what was the course like and we were saying it was shy it wasn't great it wasn't taught well you know and we'd always get asked did you get one thing from it and we'd say well maybe he goes well then it wasn't that bad mm. so a podcast you know you might listen to some someone might listen to a 90 minute podcast but if they take one thing from that that's that's a win yeah because, you know, there's something to learn in everything. So the amount of guests that you have on and the conversations that you have, you're learning constantly. Yeah, and growing, yeah. And that's it's another thing as well. I think a lot of people say it was like, oh, gee, them two are doing a podcast, or them two are doing a podcast. And I'm always like, I love to see that. Like, uh, if there was podcasts, like, from our areas or wherever, I never heard of them. I didn't really know any podcasts, like... From like walk, let's say mm, walking mm. class voices. I didn't want to say that. Yeah, cause I hate making that about class. Yeah, but I just mean I didn't hear any walking class podcasts 
before we started doing it. And like now seeing it, I'm not saying where the cars were and Jesus, but I'm just saying, now when you see all that, I do have some people say to me, see them till young to start a podcast or whatever. I'm like, I'd love to see that. I want more and more podcasts to keep going and people to do it, but for the right reasons. You took a risk. Yeah, fucking right, we took a risk. I left work. I went to fucking, that's what you call a risk as well. I, I, there was no money in this. And uh, to come here, there's no point sitting there going on like we're making millions because we're not. But, uh, but there was zero money in this for a long, long time. And I sat out and made no money off this. And I tell you, living off fucking small bleeding pan of bread and a bleeding pot noodle, eating on that, I bleeding months and months mm -hmm. just to fucking be able to do this and no bleeding, none of this going out, no luxuries, no nothing just to make this walk, you know what I mean? But I'm sure there was a, there was a long-term goal in the back of your head, like even when things are happening with the live shows, mm. you just would have talked about it but would never have imagined it happen. Yeah, well, it was you usually that bring her up as well. Mm. Calvin said to me, look, imagine if we did a live show, so we'd be like, yeah, forget about that, we'll, we have a guest next week. Yeah, no, yeah. Next I remember, week. it's the progression though, wasn't it? Like, you're like, where do you go with the next? But like, you don't, yeah, I don't know, it's just weird because what I always say, it's like, you know, if, if you're singing all your life, you know, eventually you're going to have to do that in front of a lot of people. If you're telling jokes all your life, you're going to do that in front of people. If you're playing football all your life, you have to do that in front of people. We were doing this in front of the person sitting in front of us. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You have that bit of security. That's why I used to hate, and I still kind of do, you know, when people pull me and they talk about it, especially people I know, like, really well, and they're like, and you said this and this, and I listen to that, and I'm like, oh, like, it kind of gets, like, cringy kind of or something like that, and I don't know why. And then when you say a live show, you're going to be doing it in front of thousands of people. You're like, does it make sense? You know what I mean? This doesn't register. But, but the yeah. people that will go will, are going to support you. They're yeah, going. no, I get it. I saw an electric picnic in the tent. You know what yeah. I mean? The people, it was full. People yeah. will tune in and they listen because they enjoy what you bring mm. to the podcast. And, and, you know, I was saying about talking to someone else. People in general, we tend to look at our 10 or 20 best mates, you know, and, and judge ourselves on that. I'm not going to. I'm not, I write a newsletter and I started it when I was over in Bali and I started writing newsletters. I've gone, the lads won't like that. I'm like, what lads? Me four, me 10 mates, there's 8 billion people in the world. 8 billion. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember you, you were talking about the reach that you have. Even with my own little podcast, I was looking at the countries that people are tuning in from, you know, you're like, what? So the countries I've even heard of. We're a dot. You know, we're a yeah. dot. So if there's two or three from different, different parts, from the inner city or there's two or three different podcasts, they have an audience, regardless of, you know, so there's 8 billion people in the world. I think we sometimes have tunnel vision where we just look at our close-knit groups. They won't like that. I'm not going to do that. Mm. Or they laugh at me. Getting back to, sure, everyone will be questioning me if I take a risk. Take a risk for yourself. Mm. Go for it. See what happens. You done a leg at the Bali, actually. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I went. It was during COVID again. So um, I just went over and I had to do a quarantine. Were you still studying? Still studying, yeah. There was a break in college in third year. There was, so the third year just ended. So there was a gap there, handing in all my assignments. And I said, right, I'm going to go. And Yeah, I again, I'd never done the Australia thing or the Canada. And, you know, when people were going, there was always something. You know, we'd plan it. And then one of the lads would end up going out with a girl or I'd end up with someone. And we just kept putting it off when we were in our 20s. And I just said to myself on the New Year's Eve, I said, you know what, I'm going to take myself out of my comfort zone. And I didn't know what that meant. But I always played it safe. And um, yeah, I ended up just going. Um, walking into a community that I didn't know. I knew one person um, that I actually heard in a podcast that planted a seed in my head to maybe think about going. Went to one of her meetups, a meditation thing. And uh, by chance, someone said, why don't you go to Bali? I said, yeah, why don't I? Before I knew, I booked a flight the next week. <laughs> I was like, what? So 
that was fantastic. You know, I was a little bit older, a little bit. I was a lot older than a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of 20 to 26 year olds, you know, all doing their thing, nomads that were working online, PTs, nutrition coaches, influencers, if you like to call them, but they were just a great bunch of people. And it was amazing. I learned so much from them. It was four months of just amazing times. But I knew then, coming home, they're the type of people I need in my life. Mm. That's the community I need. You know, they're the people that I felt good around. People that want you to do well. People that support you. People that will ask you for help when needed. You know, some people don't want to ask you for help. They'll ask you for help. So, yeah, I've, I've, since then I've been lucky enough and I just surround myself with people that make me feel good. Mm. Like down the shelters and stuff like that. Mm. The lads on the beach. Yeah. You end up becoming qualified therapist, Marcus. Yeah. Qualified, yeah. Qualified since June. That was amazing. Set up my business then. End of June. And you've now wrote. You said you're an author, so. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So again, when I, when I, I'm not very academic. So when I was doing my studies, I was engrossed in my uh, college. And when I stopped, I had a big gap there. But I suppose six years in therapy, all these tools, I just said to myself, I'll, I'll write them down. And, and, and journaling was a big thing for me, you know, writing stuff down. Because I think it's like a contract with yourself once you write things down. So with it's lists, checking off. So I started writing that journal. And the more I went in, there was a meaning behind it. So it's called what was, what is and what now. So it's about making peace with the past and the what was. Accepting where you are and embracing where you are in the present and the what is. And making little changes to be a better in the what now, in the future. So there's prompts and areas like boundaries, communication, inner child, bad habits, relationships, a different chapter for each where people get to study and basically write their own story. No messing when they write it down, you know. Mm. David Goggins was that accountability mirror where you look in at the end of the day, when you look in the mirror at the end of the night brushing your teeth saying, well, did I do everything? Was I a good person or did I do everything that I said I do? Only you can tell the truth to yourself and you can go yes or no. So when you write things down, I felt, right, I'm, it's a contract with myself. I feel like that's a huge thing these days, this journaling thing. You know, I think everybody is invested in it and obviously people love it and they're reaping the rewards for it personally with themselves. But I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. So this way I was asking you outside, I was like, I don't really, so if I write it down, so what do you do? You write down... Well, there's different types. So there's gratitude journaling, there's manifesting journaling, there's, you know, you can write down things what you're grateful for because I feel gratitude is the start of everything. I'm grateful for everything that's happened to me, you know, and the relationship with my dad, my mom, you know, relationships that I've had has got me to where I am, you know, and I have to be. Little things like breath work. I think breath work, we take for granted breathing. And I know you did a meditation with Jerry, was it? Jerry Hussey, yeah. yeah. Quality. Yeah. Because we take for granted breathing and, and, and not knocking our mind off. So to be gratitude is great. But with journaling, sometimes you can just basically offload on a piece of paper and it's just left free fall and it just keeps going. And then you read it back and sort of go, oh, shit, that's that's mad, isn't it? But it might bring out your deepest thoughts and your deepest feelings on paper because you're doing it unconsciously. Hmm. Then sometimes you can write stuff down and burn it just to release it, just to get it out. So there's so many different types of journaling. I was using the latter, so I would use a word, write, and I'd read it, and I'd release it, and I'd born it. I never kept it, getting paranoid. Who'd read it? You know, I'm living on my own. Who'd read it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? 52-inch TV, you know, they've got a Robbie journal. 
<laughs> so yeah, boring that, but it's still there. It's it's that release. So I suppose writing that book was it was about the questions that I would have asked myself in therapy, forced to ask myself areas that I've I've had to implement into my life with boundaries and communication and being able to say, okay, I'm putting that in place and I feel good about it. And each there's four weeks obviously for each chapter because it's it's done over the year and there's a monthly reflection then to look back and say, where's my journey gone? over those that month and it's all the different areas and you learn a lot about yourself and hopefully and so far the response has been fantastic yeah um, I've seen it everywhere online as well yeah but people are doing it it's like to go hard or go home it's no point in buying it and having it as a, a bookshelf you know you have to do the work it's like everything it's not going to magically happen for you mm. um, but it's a chance for people to start taking themselves serious and putting themselves forced and I think sometimes we're a bit the Irish guilt you know we can't do that we can do it in some senses and it comes across as self-centered or arrogant, arrogant, and you mm. know. But when we put our happiness and put put a, put a good stepping away from certain friend groups, you know, stepping away from that toxic job, you know, not being around certain things that brings us down, owning that and naming it to be able to take a step back, it's magical. It's tough, but it's magical. So is it like a condensed course? A therapy. Well, it's for people that, that, yeah, uh, you know, luckily enough, my, my clients would use that as tools. It's a tool, you know, whereas the people that don't want to go into therapy, it's a little tiptoe in the water and getting to know about themselves. You know, Lucy, our friend, she journals quite a bit, but when she writes it, she keeps an eye on certain areas where she's like, you know, this is working for me. And it mm. works for people once they put their heart and soul into it, but if they don't, they sort of just buy it. It's not going to happen for us. You have to call yourself out. Awareness is my favorite word in, in, in therapy. Once you're aware of something, once you know about your bad sides, your shadow sides, the sides that you're not too happy about, and being able to call yourself on it and say, okay, well, I need to reduce that part of me. I need to take a step back. I need to treat people a bit more each day. Because, you know, people get tired so much for the past. Each day, just accept people for the day and move on. Mm. but it starts with yourself and is it tailored towards like any kind of demographic Marcus or um, no no again initially I wrote it for men and, and, and I had the idea of a man's journal but friends of mine Kim who was a child and adolescence therapist proofread it and she was saying this this is good stuff it could work it works for both sexes you know all sexes so why not just put it out there everyone has their own stuff going on we all have communication relationships bad habits energy men feel it just as much as women so it can be worked for anyone and it's interesting that when we start learning see what happens in their life see if it starts making changes and how they feel it's all about feelings like there is a there's a page in it where it talks about feelings different words about emotions because it's not all about happy sad angry you know there's, there's different words that we can use to explain how we feel yeah different levels of emotionally happiness. yeah there's different levels of happiness as well yeah. yeah, and it gives you, it gives people an opportunity to learn. And it's all about movement. It's all about creating a movement that people will spread the good words because it's never going to happen with just one. But if one passes on to the other and passes on, it can spread. Um, so that's the, that's the hopes and plans for it. Do you think there's still a stigma about therapy? I'd like to think not. I think, you know, I think we're talking more. It's obviously for it's difficult in certain situations. Finances c can come. Yeah, into it. access is a problem. Access yeah. is a problem. Seems to be a problem, um, but that's government level. You know, that's that's funding that I suppose the likes of Amsterdam, Berlin, they just have that. It's just part of their PRSI type of thing. You know, 
So I think going forward, it will need to be looked at. There is cheaper options out there, like low-cost counselling. It's just about looking for them. If people really need to go, they, they should really try and go and have a chat. Go and see. But I, I, I'm hoping that the stigma is lifted a little bit. Mm. Because there is, there is a lot of trauma. You know, the wellness community is great and meditating and yoga and breath work and walks and Pilates. It's fantastic. But if there's stuff buried, it needs to be dug up and it needs to be viewed and looked at because all we're doing really is what I was doing for years is just putting muck over. Yeah. And it would come out of nowhere. You know, the trigger is the smallest part of a gun. One little pull of that trigger can cause havoc. Mm. And that's exactly like a trigger that's inside. It just, you don't know where it comes from sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And as you said, you have a podcast series about the journal, isn't it? So 14 episodes, one for every chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it was just something that I said. I do talk to the cows just come home. A friend of mine gave me a name of that. And, and basically had different guests on talking about certain areas of their life that is covered in the journal. And we're working towards them getting better with bad habits or them instilling boundaries. And it's not necessarily, it's not, boundaries comes not just relationships or family, it's, it's work, it's friends, it's being able to just say no and being okay with it. I think sometimes we end up being people pleasers, or we end up saying yeah, yeah, yeah all the time. And as you said, you're in that job and you're saying this is so miserable. Mm. So boundaries is a big thing. It's the buzzword at the moment, you know, but, but people need to understand why and how they instill it in their life along with all the other chapters as well. Yeah, so that's on Spotify, money on the Spotify. <laughs> on the, the platform, spot, really. on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know the lingo. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so. you're a qualified therapist. Yeah, I can't let you go without saying this one, Marcus. But we were down electric picnic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was somebody born in the air off Marcus, flirting with him, and she goes. I feel like you really understand me. You're the only fella that really listens to me. He calls him a qualified therapist. Love. <laughs> walked away. Job. That's my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the boundary came in and I had to walk. Then the boundary came in. He said, yeah, you should be paying me, buddy. Yeah, well, fuck that. But it is. It's all about, you know, listen, some people, I think that's, people just need to be heard. Mm. You know, they really need to be heard. And I think once you make people feel heard, it means so much. It really means so much. And I think hopefully that's starting to, happen again now with people and friends groups and stuff like that but if they can't listen they need to maybe suggest hopefully suggest to go and speak to someone yeah well uh, the reason why I even asked you that is because a friend rang me the other day and I'd consider this friend like like a hard jump like, and doesn't really speak much about it like that like when we get together it's not talking about feelings and shifting on the past it's like just having a buzz like kind of mm -hmm. thing and he rang me the other day and I said so what's, what were you up to all day and he said no, no, just went to therapy this morning and then done this to, and like just skipped over like Whopper. he didn't even yeah, say no, it. Yeah. I was like, that's, I love to hear that, you know what I mean? It's the norm. Yeah. It's just the way it is, yeah. It's like going to the gym. And I didn't, I didn't pull him up on that either because I didn't want them to think like, oh, fuck, there's some sort of shock factor to it. I was just like, that's lethal. Mm -hmm. Like, I love the fact that you just said it, glossed over it, and then I done this, and then I done this. Like, if that's just part of what he has to do. Well, men in general, I think anything from the head down is, is medical. So if you have an earache or a toothache or, you know, arm, you'll go to the doctor. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll prescribe you medicine. You think, right, I'm going to get better. So anything from the forehead up is your head, it's your mind. So that needs to be normalized to go and speak and, and hopefully get the tools or that release that's needed to make you feel calmer, mm. to make you feel at ease. Because 
men in general don't go to doctors, you know, but when we do, it's normally when it's serious. But people just need to understand that once the head is not right, maybe go and speak. And and the medical doctors and that need to understand that they need to recommend and refer to therapists, talk therapy, um, and maybe stay away from the medication, which I think sometimes it can be pushed onto people a lot quicker than it should. Or they say the word psychologist, and there's years waiting list for them. Mm. People need to get seen to now and, and struggle with, you know? So mm. again, it, it, it takes a bit of communication to say, look, maybe offer this instead. Well, even as you said, like the journal could be used as a tool and it's coming from a professional as well. You know what I mean? You're not just some fellow like, hey, look, this worked for me and I'm going to write it down. It worked for you and then you went and studied why it was working for you and now you've put it in this journal format and hopefully people can pick that up and be like, you know what, I needed that rather than sitting and waiting on a waiting list. Yeah, well, it's just an extra little an extra little tool, as I said, and, and, and but people learning about themselves, is that giving that awareness, asking themselves questions that probably they wouldn't ask before and saying, you know what, I'm going to give it a go, but it means getting stuck into it. Mm. I've, as I said, as you said, I've lived it for about two years and I've done it. I've done everything. I've put the boundaries, relationships, communication. I'm still working on it because the beauty of it is I'm at a place now, but I still want to improve. I still want to get to a better place, hopefully. Um, so I need to work on areas that make me feel better. Marcus, you're a legend, bro. Yeah. We appreciate you coming in and your time having a yap with us. Yeah. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. And where can we get the journal? Uh, with the journal, so my, my Instagram page, you can message on This Is Us Therapy, but they can also, it's on Amazon. So if you're in the UK, you can use Amazon.co.uk. But if there's a problem with Brexit, it keeps saying not available. So it makes it look as if it's sold out. So it's uh, Amazon.de, the German site, and it's two or three days it's delivered. Mm. So, uh, yeah. You get it on the Italian one as well. Italian one as well. And the European one. Well, Just go. saying, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was me German and Italian. <laughs> yeah, connection. connection. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right, you wrap this one up then, yeah. 30. Thank you. Take us out there, Siobhan. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little The hip knocker. Come down.